Hello and welcome. We're pleased to have you tuned in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. And it tells Jeremiah he was listening. The king was listening. But you know that's only half the process here. The goal is not to hear God. The goal is to heed God. In the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, the king was pretty unhappy with the word Jeremiah had given him from God. And he had good reason. He and the people had thoroughly rejected God's word and were about to suffer the consequences. The truth of God's word isn't always what makes us comfortable, but we need to pay attention to it just the same. Dr. Corbett is in Jeremiah chapter 37 with the question, is there any word from the Lord? So Jeremiah was pretty discouraged. He'd been prophesying now for 10, 20 years and had met with opposition all the way. And, And in this passage, we're going to see one of those rare moments of encouragement and, and as, we, as we read this, you're going to think, goodness me, if, if that's as good as the encouragement gets, he had a pretty rough life. And if you can understand where he's coming from, to read what we're about to read, you understand Jeremiah has thought all the while everything he's been saying has been rejected. And, and what we're going to see in a moment is that unbeknown to him, While he was prophesying these things, there were people who were openly scorning and ridiculing him, but on the inside, they were hearing. They were hearing and they were acknowledging that what Jeremiah was saying was from God. They acknowledged it. So let's see if we can make sense of this. So we're going to be looking from verses 11 to verses 21, the end of the chapter of chapter 37, and it's called, Is There Any Word from the Lord? It's taken from the text of this particular passage. Now, when the Chaldean army had withdrawn from Jerusalem at the approach of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah set out from Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to receive his portion there among the people. You might remember that with all that Jeremiah was prophesying, that Jerusalem... Uh, Judah would be overrun with Babylonians he actually gave hope that this would not be the end of their nation and he actually there was a time there where he got his cousin and they they transacted publicly a sale of property where, where Jeremiah bought property from his cousin in the land of Benjamin and that part of Israel was where Jeremiah and his family had been allocated land as Levitical priests. They were, in fact, not only was was uh, he a, a Levite, he was he was an Aaronite. He was a priest of the tribe of Levi, and this is the portion of Benjamin uh, that they were allocated. Benjamin was just uh, northeast of Jerusalem. That that that's the portion that they. That he had. And so he's now off to inspect what he's bought. Quite a reasonable thing. But when he was at the Benjamin Gate, a sentry there named Ariah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah, seized Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are deserting to the Chaldeans. And Jeremiah said, It is a lie. I am not deserting to the Chaldeans, but Uriah 
would not listen to him and seized Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. And the officials were enraged at Jeremiah and they beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan the secretary, for it had been made a prison. Just by the way, prisons are a pretty recent invention. You may have heard me say that before. And prisons, the way they're used today, that whole concept is less than 200 years old. Very recent concept. Uh, we, we, now hold, we, we now build prisons and have prisons as places of punishment. That's not... When you read prison here, that's not how they were uh, meaning this word prison. A prison was a place where you were held until you were punished. And if you were acquitted, you could go free. If you ticked the king off, you were held there, and then the king would decide what to do with you. So it, what, prison itself wasn't the place of punishment. It was the place you went to wait for your punishment. And you might wait there a long time. <laughs> you remember Joseph was in, the, in that prison for 11 years or so, or 13 years or so. And the king was waiting, and then one day he decided, let's deal with some of the prisoners. You remember, he brought the... Brought the baker out, said, okay, I'm going to judge you. And he, you know, he was judged. King Zedekiah sent for him, verse 16, and received him. The king questioned him secretly in his house and said, is there any word from the Lord? Jeremiah said, there is. Now, what's he going to tell the king? He's going to tell the king exactly the same thing he's been saying for the last 20 years. And that should tell you something. That should tell you that if you are here or if you are living out your Christian life going, I just can't hear from God. God, why don't you ever speak to me? You can either face palm yourself or have someone else do it for you. Because God has spoken. And I find that what God has said gives me enough to act on without any fresh word from God. I don't know how you can read Romans chapter 12. Just take the first verse and go, yes, but what are you really saying to me, God? I mean, just read that verse. <laughs> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices. How's anyone going with that? Can anyone tick that one off? I'm not ticking that one off yet. That's a daily word for me. <laughs> And I could have God thunder it from heaven and it would still have the same impact in my soul. And I was really tempted to highlight the difference between paganism and true spirituality. I didn't think I needed to. Paganism had this concept of prophets. They're prophets, the pagan prophets. They even called them prophets. They called them the prophets of Baal. <laughs> they called them the prophets of Baal. And this was their concept, that what the prophets said, Baal was obliged to do. Do you get that? That's paganism. True spirituality does not work by the prophet telling God what to do. True spirituality, it's God telling the prophet what to do. There is a world of difference. Now, here's where the rubber starts to burn a black, smoky, grey thing on the tarmac. 
There are people today that would tell you by baptising, attempting to baptise pagan spirituality into the church, they can tell you, you can positively declare what you want God to do for you. And I hear that and I go, why am I the only one who thinks the king hasn't got any clothes on when I hear this nonsense? Why am I the only one that hears Jeremiah standing in the midst of hundreds of these prophets telling the king Egypt will come to our defence, Babylon will retreat forever, they will never attack, everything will be okay. And Jeremiah's going, are you all mad? You can't tell God what to do. This is madness. God said in his word, Deuteronomy 26 and 27, that if you forsake him and worship idols, he will send in opposing armies and take you from the land. Jeremiah's not telling them anything radical. This is not like, well, we need to weigh this up. He's just reminding them of what God's word had already said. And really today, the, the most profound prophetic thing you could ever hear today is if somebody takes the existing word of God and gets you to see it. That's it. So paganism is, we'll tell God what to do. <laughs> That's why I shudder when I hear people talk about positive confession. Now listen, I, I, I'm all for being positive. But I, gotta, I, I, I have this... This incredible nervousness when I hear people say, you know, if we positively confess, we can create our own reality. What? Yeah, after all, the scripture says, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, Abraham spoke those things which were not as if they were. And I'm looking at 2 Corinthians 4 or thereabouts. I'm going, that's not what it says. It says God speaks those things which are not as if they were. And Abraham believed God. That's it. Can you see how the equation works here? It's not us speaking things into existence to tell God what to do. That's paganism. But as I said, I'm not going to go there because I don't think we need to be reminded of any of that. So we'll move on. Verse 18. Jeremiah also said to King Zedekiah, what wrong have I done to you, all your servants, all this people, that you have put me in prison? And he was imprisoned on several occasions, and he's about to be imprisoned again. Where are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying the king of Babylon will not come against you and against this land? So there's this contrast between pagan prophets and true spiritual prophets, true prophets of God. Now hear, please, O my Lord the king, let my humble plea come before you and do not send me back to the house of Jonathan the secretary, lest I die there. And there's a, there's a subtle implication that, that there was a little bit more going on in that prison experience than just being imprisoned. There was almost certainly physical abuse happening as well. And Jeremiah reasonably now has some leverage with the king. And remember, the king is thinking pagan. The king is thinking pagan. <laughs> that if Jeremiah just started prophesying positive happy thoughts, God would comply. So Jeremiah says, here's my request. Don't send me back to that place. And I'm thinking we can read into that where they beat me up mercilessly. Don't send me back there. 
The king is going to imprison him. And this is how it unfolds. So King Zedekiah gave orders and they committed Jeremiah to the court of the guard. And a loaf of bread was given him daily by the baker's street until all the bread of the city was gone. So Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. Well, he remained there at least until the end of this chapter. Until something else happened, but we'll see that next week. Now, here's the king saying, and this is, can you, I, I, want, I want you to go, I want you to be thinking, what, what is this king, thick? Is he slow? What is, what is this? The king has just retold 18 years of, of prophetic legitimacy. He has just recounted some of the highlights of what Jeremiah has said since Jeremiah was 13, 14 years of age. And here we are, Jeremiah's in his mid-30s now, and the king's retelling of all the accurately fulfilled prophecies that Jeremiah's given. And there is still an outstanding prophecy that's hanging over their heads. And the king asks this question, is there anything new that God wants to say? You can, you can imagine how Jeremiah felt. Like, it's the same thing. And he says it again. He repeats it again. Babylon is coming. It's too late. God will punish you for all the evil that you have perpetrated. And this is exactly what his word said he would do. Deuteronomy, you read it and it says, if you forsake God and turn to idols, a foreign nation would come in. And the land, I think the language is, the land will vomit you out. Jeremiah is just simply repeating the word of God. And I, and I hope, and, and I'd like to think that in our church, we have a high regard for the word of God. A high regard for the word of God. And as we read the word of God, this is what I've noticed. That people who read the word, their lives are changed. We see... That God's word says that God does speak. We read through the book of Acts. They went out, they planted churches and may God help us to do the same. May God raise up young men in this church who will go out and have the courage to plant churches. To change the destiny of our state. But as they did, it says God spoke and God revealed things to them. At one point, Paul was heading north into Bithynia from sort of from north of Antioch and the Holy Spirit said to him no hmm, that's God speaking isn't it you ever asked God something and he said no no so what did Paul do he waited and that night he had a dream dreamt of a Macedonian man and how did Paul understand that dream he said God has spoken so what does this tell us about how God speaks? But scripture tells us God speaks. And we need to understand that God speaks in various ways. Now, I've heard people say, well, if God speaks, you'll know it. And there's an element of truth to that. But there's also this various ways thing that has me intrigued. This is what it says in Hebrews 1.1. Long ago, at many times... And in many ways. 
I think the old King James says it diverse ways or various ways your translation might have. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So God speaks in many diverse ways. God speaks. I, I had someone come up to me at a function that I was invited to and they said, I came to your church. Uh, they, they came a few months ago. I came in a little bit late because I didn't want to be noticed and I left pretty soon because I just, I just wanted to check your church out and I didn't really want to connect with anyone. And, I, and Hey, and if that's you today, welcome. You're welcome to come and slip in and slip out. That's okay. We have lots of people who do that. And this is what she said. <clears throat> she said, you, you, you stood up and you began to describe someone. And I began to listen because you were describing me. Then you said something about that person. And that was exactly what I had going on that weekend. Then you said on the way to church this morning, this was happening. And that is exactly what was happening to me on the way to church this morning. And she said, as I came in, I thought, am I making a mistake? Should I be here? And she said, just as I thought that you said, and this is God's will for you to be here today. Hmm. And she said, how did you do that? How did you hear God so clearly? And please, if you're, if you're hearing me say that to make it sound like I'm in a bit, that's not, that's not my motive. Please don't think that. I want you to hear what I said to her. Because she was looking for some mystical answer. And this is what I said. I'm not quite sure, but I know this much. If you want to recognize the language of God, you've got to become familiar with the language of God. And you become familiar with God's language by reading his word. You learn the language of God by learning the language of God's word. And I've learned that as you listen to God through his word, there are all these voices and so on. And you begin to, that's God. I'm hearing God. I'm recognizing that's how God speaks. I'm reminded of the great missionary David Livingston, one of my heroes. Man, what a guy. And he went off in search of the Congo River to track the Congo River as a missionary as a, and, and was mapping it as well. And you, you remember the journalist, um, I think his name was Henry Stanley uh, from New, the New York, New York Times, went off in search of him and found him. And he was just totally impressed with, with David Livingstone and the work he'd done. And, and he knew he was getting close to David Livingstone because all down the Congo, he found these villages that were now converted to Christianity. Everywhere Livingstone went, villages turned to Christ. And eventually he finds him and he's talking with him. And, he's, he's, and there's an amazing story there, which is not my point right now. But here's, here's these two men exchanging for over a period of weeks. And then Stanley says, well, I've got to get this story back and let people hear your story. So 
he, he gets out of there and he gets to London and he, and he reports, he shows the maps that Livingston's done of the Congo and the, the Royal Geographic Society laugh at him, scorn him, call him a fraud. And then eventually Livingston's daughter came to London. And there she is with Mr. Stanley, the journalist, who's feeling utterly dejected. And there she is, she's with him for the day and she's hearing him. And at the end of the day, she says, I know you've been with him. You're talking like him. I'd recognise my father's voice and you've got it. Didn't they say that in Acts about these disciples, these unlearned men? And it says, but they discerned that they had been with Jesus. Can people discern that about us? I hope so. And how do we spend time with Jesus? Well, we spend time in the word. This is all authored by Jesus. You learn the language of God by learning the language of God's word. But here's where we look at this passage where King Zedekiah, he rattles off. You said Egypt would come. You said they would go. They did. You said the Babylonians would invade. They did. You said the Babylonians would come back. They did. You said Hananiah, the one who mocked you publicly, would be dead within two years. He was dead within two months, just as you said. And he lists all these things and it tells Jeremiah he was listening. The king was listening. The king heard what I was saying. But you know that's only half the process here. Because that's not the goal. The goal is not to hear God. The goal is to heed God. If you hear the voice of God through the pages of scripture say, I want you all, surrender all to me. And you go, I can't, I can't, I can't overcome this. Just let me clean my act up, then I'll come to you. Then you are not hearing well. Because God says, no, no, come to me as you are. I will clean you. I will heal you. I will give you strength where you feel you are weak. And so now if you hear that, you need to heed that. Because it's far more important, and this is what Jeremiah said to King Zedekiah, you lacked the courage to do the right thing. You lacked the courage to do the right thing. I remember in a church at the age of 15, 16 years of age, stepping out from my seat, walking down that front aisle. I've got to tell you, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. And there would have only been about 20, 30 people in that room. Man. It's far more important to heed God's word than to hear it clearly and not heed it. So, how do we approach God's word? King Zedekiah was hearing it. He was entertained by it. He wanted his ears tickled by it. And Jeremiah wasn't going to play the game. You could come to this church and chances are we could probably grow this church far bigger than we are now if we told people what they want to hear. So how should we approach God's word? Prayerfully. I'm going to be praying for you this week as you read God's word that God will speak to your heart 
and that you'll have the courage to heed what he's saying. I'm going to pray that for each of you. And I'm going to pray that God opens up for you, each of you, opportunities to share his word with someone else. That's my prayer for you this week. I'm just letting you know. We approach God's words, God's word prayerfully. God, speak to me. Nearly every time. In fact, I'm, I'm trying to think, is there a time when I don't do that? I'm, maybe, but it's such a habit now. I, I grab my iPad in the morning. Um, apparently, when you get over 50, your eyes go a little bit and mine are certainly going and I find it easy to read my iPad in the morning and even as I grab my iPad I'm going oh God speak to me and let's look at it and we just look at the word of God approach it prayerfully approach it to learn man I still learn stuff still learning we're created to learn and as we approach God's word we, we learn we approach it not just to know stuff but to grow as well. God needs to change us and to be challenged. And this is where the challenge is. When was the last time you were challenged by God's word? I mean, I, I, I tell you what, I, I remember reading Romans 12 as a little kid, as a, a young teenager reading Romans 12. And I, I read it now and I'm still challenged, still challenged by it. I read Romans chapter 12, verse 1, as I mentioned before. Then I think, man, I've got to... I'm not surrendered like I should be. I want to be. Hmm. To be challenged by it. You know, this sequence, prayerfully learning, growing and being challenged, is pretty much the challenge that's outlined here in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. It says this, Every scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. King Zedekiah lacked the courage. We read it in the text, Jeremiah telling him, you lacked the courage to heed God's word. And here's the challenge to me. As I read in scripture and it tells me that I'm to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creatures under heaven. As I am to pray for all people to be saved, I have to ask the question, Am I? Do I have the courage to do that? Am I heeding God's word to do that? And here's my challenge to you as pastor of this church, not at the back of the pack like an Australian shepherd driving you forward, but hopefully at the front saying, come on, let, come, let, let's do this. Let's be vibrant witnesses, people who know the language of God, people who display to the world we've been with Jesus because we've been in his word people who have a heart for people, people who recognize there are people all around us who are dying, going to a Christ-less eternity, into hell for eternity, and I don't like it. Let's do something about it. We can get caught up worrying about whether or not we've heard the word of God clearly, but it's more important to heed it than hear it clearly and not heed it. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Is There Any Word from the Lord?, are available via the website, findingtruthmatters.org, or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. For regular updates and special offers, please visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. 
Dr Corbett is the pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters. <laughs>